episode 63 of the afternoon snack podcast i'm your host meredith root here with your other host alex parker and ivy poot oh i thought it was parker root oh okay which is i like that it's alphabetical yeah i don't like root parker that doesn't that's not as good yeah, and it goes like best to last, which is another. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. All right. Youngest to oldest, whatever. Um, Throwing darts today. Yeah. Better be careful. She's in a mood. Yeah. She's a little feisty today. Yes. Okay, so updates. Meredith changed our toilet. I did. I did do that. that and was... it all began... I'll start the beginning of the story. When we first moved in to this house, we had an inspector and the inspector, and we like had to walk around with the inspector and he was telling us all the things that we needed to like change in the house. And I know nothing as you probably have picked up if you've listened to even just one episode about like houses, cars, any sort of um, like handiness. So we're walking around with the inspector and I legit have no idea what he's saying. But I do remember something. And it was like he pointed to the toilet and said, you're going to need to replace something, something, something. It was like, you know, in Charlie Brown, was like, wah, 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 like that. That's how it came out to me. So I'm like, okay, there's something with the toilet that needs to be fixed. I'm like, I don't know. The toilet seems to be working fine. But every time I cleaned the bathroom, around the base of the toilet, there was like a yellowish brown something that kind of seeped out it wasn't a lot it was like I sprayed it with the cleaner and like wiped it and it was gross but everything's gross when you're cleaning the toilet so I didn't really think anything of it kind of thought it might be normal so then the toilet kind of stopped working like you would try to flush it and it wouldn't work so of course my response is Meredith's toilet's not working and then she would go in and do something to it to fix it so I, so we're at Home Depot or Lowe's Lowe's, and if Meredith likes spending money, regardless of what is on. And she says, Hey, we should get a new toilet. And I was like, she's like the, okay. And I don't even know if this is the right word is, did you use the word flange? Uh, I, I I think you may have, I hadn't, I wasn't using the word flange. What were you using for what to describe the like ring? The, the wax ring? Yeah. Yep. Did you say flange? I didn't say flange Okay, so we're walking in to Lowe's, and she's like, well, we need to replace the flange anyways. Even though she didn't use word flange, she used something like that. The which wax is ring. Which another, is another thing that I was like, what the hell is that? I'm pretty sure I said we need to replace the, the ring. Okay, and I was like, okay, cool. The toilet bowl ring, of course. Who wouldn't know about that? And well, then she's like, and I... the toilet's kind of like broken, so why don't we just get a new toilet? Because bringing in a plumber to like look at the toilet and fix it is going to cost the same amount as buying a new toilet and I'll just replace it. And I was like, well, have you ever replaced a toilet before? And Mary's like, no, but I mean, and like scoffed, like as if it was (coughs) ridiculous that I even asked her if she knew how to do a toilet. I had already watched, I'm very handy and I had already watched it. In my mind, I'm like, okay, so you just pull the toilet off and put a new toilet on. Boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, done. (laughs) So, and the way that the amount of confidence you exuded made me imagine this. Remember in the and last episode? I think episode, at one point I was like, are you going to need my help? And you're like, probably not. I'm I like, think Great. I said, I'll need your help when I, when I take it off. But you remember in the last episode when I said, I don't 
tend to lack confidence. Yeah. This is an example of that. You definitely did not lack confidence. Can I tell, can I tell it through my lens or I'll, I'll at least I'll provide some clarity on some of your points. So the, the brown, <laughs> like orange stuff coming out from under the old toilet, that was, that's what, that was wax residue from the, the wax ring that, that creates the seal between the toilet and your like main sewer line. And the fact that that was degrading and coming out under the toilet is a, is problematic for like, number one, if you don't have a good seal, then the water could be missing the flange and damaging the subfloor. And that's how you end up with toilets falling through the the ceiling. Oh God. And then the second issue is we were (laughs) getting like, (laughs) it's a good thing I didn't know this. Otherwise it wouldn't have been sleeping. I know. I didn't tell you. But anyways, the other problem is it doesn't create an airtight seal. So now you have like sewage air like coming up into the bathroom, which I did notice that on occasion (laughs) I would get some like, what the hell is that? You know? Um, So anyways. But you're like, I don't know. My shit's pretty stinky. It probably is just lingering from this morning. Some days. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure if it went all the way down. Um, Yeah. And then the in like the toilet itself was was sort of not the best and it seemed like the if we're gonna have to pull it off to replace the wax ring anyways why not just put a new toilet on they're not that expensive so that was the impetus for again something i learned they were i think the one we got was 350 yeah i wanted to get the cheaper one but meredith had apparently done her research well that's not even an expensive toilet okay you can spend like a thousand dollars or more on the toilet yeah we went with the kohler two-piece elongated bowl sits up a little higher yeah super which nice. is a little bit alarming every time we go to sit down <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like that feeling of when you go to step down a stair but there's no stair there yeah so you kind of like, like your whole body just sort of does something weird every time like, oh. i sit on this new toilet it's like it it feels like it's three inches taller i'm sure it's only a few centimeters but it makes a significant difference it's very significant so yeah. i go to sit down and it hits a little harder basically as like two shorter females all you have to do really is lean back and then you're there <laughs> It's amazing. It's like a tall guy toilet. But it, we have it is. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, half was, sitting, half standing. It's kind of just leaning. Really a good situation <laughs> at nighttime when you're like, I don't know where this thing is. Uh, it's great when you have sore legs. So you don't have to sit all the way down. Okay. Funny, funny toilet story unrelated to this toilet story. And then we'll move on with it. Alex, when she goes to the bathroom in the middle of the night, which everyone does like one or two times per night, not you everyone. don't turn the... Well, the lucky few, I guess, don't. Yeah. I usually go at least once. But you, you don't turn the light on because that would be just rude Well, you're not supposed to expose your eyeballs to light between the hours of 10 and 4. Well, I, Alex, messes I Messes with that. your circadian rhythm. We're going to get to circadian okay, rhythm. I know. Just a prequel. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so every morning I wake up and I don't know, maybe I'm the first one to go to the bathroom when the lights are on. And I can always tell if Alex has gone to the bathroom because she manages to like, she'll like wipe and then toss the toilet paper, not in the toilet. It lands like on the the side of the toilet or the floor. I usually do over the shoulder as I'm walking out. Do you? Okay. It's it's like I I do like, um, kind of like around the back, hope, hoping for the best. Well, and then I can, and then (laughs) why don't you just drop like your hands already like in the middle? Why don't you just drop it? Like you actually have to take it out and then do something else with it. Like your hand is over the toilet. I actually, I actually do see it every morning. I see if I've made You're it like, or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a whole thing I'm working on. 
Yeah, I was your success. It's really, rate is I'm doing trick shots under fifty percent. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's that's Alex. But carry Sometimes on. Sometimes I your... do like my own little alley oop, so I like toss it uh, and then I <laughs> jump. This is really impressive. <laughs> to Grab me. it while I'm in the air and dunk it. And with it being dark, sometimes it sometimes goes in it the trash mi- can. Sometimes it goes in the toilet. Sometimes it goes on the floor. Sometimes it does like a. I don't flush because it's nighttime, but it'll it'll like, kind of like when you when you rim like a, uh, a, a golf ball, <laughs> a golf ball. You lip it out. Sometimes that happens. It's like really close, but it's got so much velocity. It just kind of hits the lip and like spins out. Do you ever play beer pong where if that starts to happen, you have to like. Like yeah blow in the or cup you can like finger it oh we always did the yeah either one yeah do you do that ever um with the toilet paper yeah one time i did okay yeah i blew and then it didn't work that's fair yeah no points for you i think there was too much liquid on it it was too <laughs> too heavy oh yeah okay <laughs> great so glad that we did that story um you can carry on with your toilet install. i'm sure i'm not the only one who misses like in the middle of the night I never I am miss. not concerned about whether the toilet paper ends up in the toilet. Okay, moving on. Where were, so we bought the toilet. Yeah. Bring it home. This is a Sunday afternoon. And I was like, oh, it'll take two hours. Yeah. Easy. Bring it home. I was on a roll. Like I, I, you know, when you watch a video, it's like, so you have to turn, flush, turn the water off, flush it. It gets like a lot of the water out of the tank, but not most of the, like the top tank, but not all of it. And so and then it says like, you know, using a sponge, remove any excess water. And I was like, well, I'm not using a sponge. So I, you know, engineering licked it. I used my mouth. <laughs> uh, no, I, um, had some tubing from when I was I siphoning. Was too, so she helped. Yeah. When I was siphoning gas out of the lawnmower in the summer, I had bought all this like clear tubing. So I went and got some of that out of the shed and, 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 you know, put that down in there and created a siphon and put it in the bucket. And I was like very proud of that. Cause I was like sp- sponge the water out. Who do they think so I am? smart? Um, so yeah, that get, I, you know, got the tank off and then we're pulling the, you know, the, the bowl off and that's when I needed your help. And that's yeah. when you were like, Oh God, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's the wax. <laughs> the wa- and it was disgusting under cause it really had yeah, disintegrated. The wax nasty. ring was black. Yeah. It was nasty. Yeah. So get that off. That's sitting in the bathroom, like the main bathroom, not the water closet part of the bathroom. And then I like clean up the floor, um, clean off the old wax from the toilet flange. Alex, that's the flange, the yeah. thing that is oh. in the ground, in the floor. Got it. Um, and that was fine. And then we got the, the new toilet kind of going, unpacked that, um, flipped it over, got the new wax ring. I like, I barely helped. Yeah, I did didn't. absolute minimal. I didn't even like looking. I don't want to know that I poop into a hole in the floor. I would much rather know that I, I sit on a throne and poop into water and it just goes away. Like I don't want to see a hole. Is there like a going into the wall with like brown stuff on it? Like that's not for me. What do you think? Do you think there's some I sort of like poop think. store? I try not to think. I don't want to think desk. about it. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's fine. So I know that there's some sort of thing going on underneath. I don't yeah. want to know. Although one time when I was in um, high school, we went to this city. Oh, the wastewater the treatment. The wastewater treatment Isn't center. Isn't that fascinating? It was 
quite something. It's like actually fascinating. We tested the water before and after. Yeah. And then we also went in and saw the whole thing happening. It smelled horrible. Yeah, it's bad. And also I was surprised at what the things that people flush down the toilet. Yeah. Because they have something they run the water through. Uh Uh-huh. And it's like... um, filter a filter and it captures all of the things what was the cool was the craziest thing you saw that they i can't remember out? i just remember thinking wow that's a lot of stuff there was a lot of like i'm pretty sure there were like diapers and stuff why would you flush a diaper maybe if you're in there like were a, a lot of bathroom. a lot of feminine sanitary napkins yeah and probably like kids toys yeah yeah but there's a lot of like probably dinosaurs. a lot of cat toys. Yes, <laughs> Ivy has contributed some crinkle balls to that for um, sure. Yeah, but we ran into issues with a new one because the wax ring was sort of on the small side, and I was looking at it, and then I was looking at the one that came off, and then I was looking at the flange, which is under like it was set, it was recessed because of the tile. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, uh, I don't know if this is gonna be thick enough. And then we kind of put the toilet on, and it definitely wasn't. And so that's sort of where the activity for that afternoon stopped. I went back to the store and bought like a flange extender and an extra, you know, no, the wax ring happened on Monday. We went and got one of those. That's when I started getting concerned and also started removing myself a little bit farther from the situation because I posted a photo of you doing the toilet and I got, you know how on Instagram people usually message with advice? Yeah. Most of the time unsolicited advice. Well, in this case, I was getting a lot of like, oh, no, you're supposed to pay people for that. <laughs> and then a couple of people are like, oh, no, the <laughs> wax ring. Are you dealing with the wax ring? And I was like, oh, yeah. And they were like, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> the wax ring was like it. I can't remember the movie. I was going to try to look it up before we got on here and I, I can't remember it. But it's like. There's some movie where a guy gets like something sticky on his hand and then he like touches a piece of paper and like another piece of paper and then he's just like his hand like his, like his hands are just sticking to everything. Yeah. That's the wax ring. You like know, as soon as you touch it, it's just on it's on it was on my phone, it was on my clothing, it was on the outside of the toilet, it was on my drills, it was on my tools. Like we sacrificed two kitchen spatulas to scrape it off. Oh good, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, they're cheap those were your mm-hmm. old crappy ones because um, I didn't have a putty knife. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah. I was getting similar like, wow, you're brave kind of feedback. So had it ready to go. It was kind of like, you know, I think to Tuesday we had a plumber coming from like for something unrelated. To so flush our, our tankless hot water heater. Yeah. To do a flush on that. And Alex was like, just let him do the toilet. And I was like, no, um, <laughs> but I was, I was not above asking cause I had at that point read about all the things that can go wrong if you like, don't do it right. And then your toilet falls through the ceiling and this and this. So I was like, I will, I will get his opinion. I will get his opinion on what I'm doing. And so he gave me, I had already bought one, but he gave me like a thicker wax ring. Use that. He was like, you'll know if it's sealed because you'll see wax come sort of underneath the toilet bowl. Like you'd be able to see it in the holes. He's like, so when you put it on, look for the wax. And so I did that. And he, at that point was standing in the bathroom and was like, see wax. And I was like, I feel way better because the other thing that was happening was the toilet. The floor isn't quite level. So it was rocking a little bit. So I was worried that was 
you know, uh, indication that it wasn't sealed, but it's not, it's just an indication that you need to shim it. Mm. So all good to go. Toilet got installed. And then it's working Meredith is one of those people who like when a person comes to fix something in the house, when a person comes to fix something in the house and I'm in the house, the person just does their work and I sit on the couch. And then when the payment happens, I say, is it all good? And they say yes. And then out the door. When somebody comes and Meredith is here, Meredith becomes their apprentice. <laughs> well, I want to learn with them all the entire time because I was down there and guess what? I know how to do now. Like we're not going to have to pay to have someone flush our tankless. What system. Meredith didn't do when she was supposed, what she was supposed to because she was too distracted by getting the toilet installed was let this plumber know that we were having actual hot water issues separate and apart from the hot water heater needing to be flushed. And so when all the toilet got installed, but then we didn't have hot water. Yeah, that's correct. I did so do that. that was great. But we got that sorted the next day. It was a really easy fix. Yeah. And it, who cares if you have one cold shower after a nice long cold. <laughs> it was fine. But anyways, yeah, I mean, I like learning how to do those things. I think it's really valuable. I like the challenge. I like not having to pay people to do. I like there's a limit. I don't know that I would do a toilet again. I think like I had that experience. I'm glad I know how to do it. But there's also so many like a variety of different things that can go wrong. I'm only prepared for the one thing that I know. Like if something else were to happen, I'd be like, I don't know. Um, I, I think the next time we need a toilet replaced, we'll just get someone to do that. Yeah. Or but, I can do it. Yeah. I mean, like, give me six months and I might change my tune, but that was not my favorite. Plus, it's so easy to crack them. Like, you spend $400 on a toilet and then just, like, half a turn too tight on a bolt and you, you like, just crack the toilet. Huh. And then you got to go buy a new one. It's just, like, you've just thrown money down the I did buy that toilet. toilet. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I like I like doing that stuff. It's it's an easy way to save a time. little bit of money. I mean, the pl- you know what the... like it plumbers charge by the hour like two hundred dollars and i know like i spent way longer doing it than he would have but there's a reason for that but even the flush like the hot the 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 tankless system Mm -hmm. like 400 bucks yeah yeah now i know how to do it it's like i feel like you were getting back at me for not wanting to hire a house cleaner true which we haven't yet nope holding strong (laughs) so anyways you're welcome i guess what are we talking about today? Okay, today the nutrition topic, there's a few different ones, but the overarching topic is debunking a few myths. Oh yeah, we're going to debunk some things. Yeah. I like that. Not like, there's like a long list we could go through. So we picked like, we picked three. Three th- with a bonus. Three with a bonus. Um, Kind of the three, we hear them a lot. We see them on social media a lot. Um, Yeah, so we'll... What order do you want to go in? You pick. Okay. Um, I will read the myth and then you tell me the first thing that pops into your head. I have all the notes. Alex has no notes. This will be really fun. Eating carbohydrates before bed causes fat gain. True or false? False. Obviously, we're debunking it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) You got that one right, you clever yeah go ahead elaborate on that one 
Um, okay, well, the first thing I want to say, and this is the most important thing, people, when they come to nutrition, I've said this before, I'll say it again. There is, There are the basics, which give you the biggest bang for your buck, for really any goal you have. As you get more specific in your nutrition journey, you maybe will improve a little bit on like body comp, weight loss, performance, etc. But it's like that's like that's where like supplements fall. Mm-hmm. Up there with supplements, just underneath supplements is timing. Underneath that are calories, food quality, and macros. So people are are worried about eating before bed and thinking that like eating a bowl of cereal or eating bread before as a snack, having a piece of toast is going to make them fat. When in actuality, they're not controlling their calorie intake ever. So why don't you, f- you have to focus on overall calorie intake before you worry about when you're eating and that causing you to get fat. Yeah. Like the fact that you're eating like in a surplus, it doesn't matter what time you're eating. It's going to make you fat. You could eat all of your calories in the morning and still get fat. Yes. Or it you has could nothing eat nothing to do with timing. Yeah, if you're if you're limiting or restricting or eating appropriate calories, you could eat all of them at night and mm-hmm. not get fat. Yep. I think the so to to elaborate on the pyramid concept a little bit, there's all this like nuance and detail uh, that exists at the top of that pyramid, and I think sometimes people get tricked into thinking like, "Hey, I am doing a good job at um, controlling my calories, sleeping, eating high quality foods, eating the right macronutrient distribution consistently. Therefore I should continue to pursue these very small details at the top. Like it's some sort of implied progression. Like you should be constantly moving up the pyramid when in reality you don't have to do that. You can just like, Hey, I like my, I like my body composition. I'm eating enough for what I want to do in life in gym, in the gym. Um, macros are good. Food quality is great. I feel healthy. You can stop there. You don't have to, you don't have to say, I would like to go get into the weeds on all of this, you know, stuff where most of it, like, has there been research that shows, um, that there's a, a negative potential negative impact from eating at nighttime. There has been research that's, that shows that, but it's a lot of that research is um, self-reported food intake, which we know that that's problematic. Um, the good research that's out there is mechanistic, meaning they can um, measure like glycemic response after a meal and say like, we see a negative, we see a, a less than optimal glycemic response when someone eats later in the day versus earlier in the day but what like what's the impact or what's the magnitude of of that like how is it actually going to affect someone in real life and I think there's um there's a few people out in the space right now who are advocating for focus in these areas Andrew Huberman's one that comes to mind he he has that podcast I think it's like the number one health podcast Huberman lab. It's I know actually it's, very interesting. It is. And he's a, he's a smart guy. He's a neuroscientist, but yeah. he's kind of niched down into human, uh, into health and performance. And he does talk a lot about this sort of emerging research. Um, it, you know, and a lot of these things like, is the data interesting? Yeah. There's not a huge body of data behind much of anything that he says. 
And again, to, to put a, a large amount of focus on anything, um, that he is talking about without, um, without having consistency and, um, you know, time with the basics, it's not really going to do anything. So the, the, you know, carbs before bed kind of falls into the, uh, like chrono biology, chrono nutrition sort of field, which is all it is, is it's, it evaluates the impact that both these are like circadian rhythm. So the light, light and dark cycle, sleep and wake cycle, fed and fasted cycle, active and rest cycle. It evaluates how, how those things interact. So how does our, how does our response to our natural circadian rhythm impact our nutrition? And then the other question is how does our nutrition impact uh, our sensitivity to our circadian rhythm or, you know, light and dark. And so the, yeah, what we, what we do know is that, um, we are like human beings are more sensitive to insulin in the early part of the day, meaning you're just going to have a better response, um, to, to the food that you eat. Your body's going to deal with it appropriately. It's going to store it. It's going to use it. Um, that insulin sensitivity declines, as you move through your day. So when you're eating late in the day, all insulin sensitivity, when, when, when someone becomes somewhat insulin resistant, all that means is that your body has to then produce a bit more insulin to achieve the desired result, which is food storage predominantly getting the food to where it needs to go. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of what you see later in the day. It's not necessarily a bad thing, Um, when you end up in a situation where your body is chronically overproducing insulin, now we're, we're sort of teetering on pre-diabetic and type two diabetes. That's a marker there, but like occasional overproduction because you're eating a little bit later in the day, that's going to happen for anyone who eats dinner. So, um, there's that. And then, you know, digestion, which is also, I'll just like put this in which is also why and you've pointed this out why when people intermittent fast the optimal window for that if you're fasting daily mm-hmm. is to have your eating window early in the day yes whereas most people fast in the morning and then start eating at like noon or one and then eat till like six and then stop eating I think a lot of people are just too lazy to make breakfast and so and like you see this with athletes all the time, like Rich Froning's like, oh, I intermittent fast. And I'm like, no, dude, like you just don't make breakfast. Well, I think also your your hunger signals just aren't as high. For most people, they just aren't as high in the morning. Yeah. People are like, oh, take advantage of that. I don't need to eat. <laughs> but and if it is hunger, time consuming. If your hunger signals aren't high in the morning, you should be asking yourself like, why aren't they high in the morning? Because yeah. that's a pretty good indicator that something's up. Like if you're not, if you don't wake up kind of hungry, that's a problem. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, most of the, the data around intermittent fasting, like time restricted eating is, uh, at least as far as like fat loss is concerned, which is why most people are interested in it. Um, yeah, that's early. That means people are, are stopping their eating at like 4 PM. Um, whereas yeah, like you said, the opposite tends to be more likely, which is someone starts eating at noon or one and stops eating at 8 PM. Um, so then two things happening. Number one, you're, you're eating, 
during a period of time that you're naturally less sensitive, like sensitive to insulin. So that's a problem by itself. If you do it chronically, um, the second thing is now you're, you're, and this gets into the digestion issues. So we don't digest our food as well later in the, later in the day, especially after the sun comes, like goes down. So digestion is, um, not as good. We see, yeah, postprandial, which is just all that word means is it's after a meal. Postprandial means after you've eaten something. I usually hate when people use that word, but I'm going to use it a little bit today. Um, postprandial glycemic response is worse at night. So again, you're not controlling, um, your blood glucose as well. And that goes to insulin. Um, so you're eating exclusively or at least somewhat exclusively during a time where your body's just not going to do a very good job digesting or using the food that you eat. Yeah. From a behavioral standpoint, the evenings are usually when like you're eating things like steak. Not that steak is inherently bad, but it's like high calorie, have chicken wings. Like dinner foods tend to be a little bit more calorically dense. Yeah. Also, what do you do between the hours of like, you know, 7 and 8 p.m.? Ice cream. Ice cream, like dessert. That's when you maybe start snacking, when you you start eating like, you know, you go into the cupboard and maybe you you decide like, oh, I'm just going to have a handful of my like kids um, mixed trail mix and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas like, I mean, you hear it all the time from, from people like I – I'm really good for breakfast. I'm really good for lunch. And then later in the day, that's when things get away from me. Or you don't hear it from them until you like pry the information. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. But like the, the, from a behavioral standpoint, just because of what the food availability, it's a little bit. And the fact that like you are, a lot of people are a little bit hungrier in the afternoon, maybe because they don't eat a big enough breakfast and lunch, which we've also discussed, <laughs> but that might lead to overeating and eating less desirable, like whole foods. Yeah. I think if you were to chart like calorie density over time throughout the day, you would definitely see an increase in calorie density later in the day. Not so, that many people eat candy in the morning. No, no. I like on occasion for, I'll just like randomly grab a mini egg. Like when I make my coffee and it's like, ugh, no, I didn't like that. I have candy in the morning after breakfast. I oh, do you? Pieces. I find it's really odd. I like, I need something sweet after each meal, but just a little. Yeah. But yeah. So I do think that, um, the eating habits that occur before bed definitely do lend themselves to fat gain. But I think that the, you know, specific time window, is it, is it best if you can finish eating three hours before bedtime? 100%. That's what's best. And so if you go to bed at, um, 10 30 PM, that means you should be done eating at 7 30 PM. And so I, th I think that's a good general recommendation. Number one, it's going to help control calorie intake. And then it's also going to set you up optimally for sleep. Now, mm -hmm. the one caveat, the, the, the caveat, it's really difficult to sleep when you're hungry and it's, it's, um, there's like, not only just, it's difficult to, to relax and to, to sleep soundly, but also there's for athletes. And I think this is an important difference to point out. There's a difference between someone who's just trying to maintain their health and body weight, maybe, you know, moderately active. They go to the gym a couple times, you know, four or five times a week. Maybe they run like not someone who's pursuing athletic goals. There's a difference between someone like that or even someone who's not active at all, trying to lose weight and someone who 
is either an athlete or extremely active. Because when you put any kind of time restriction on a person who just needs a lot of calories, it makes it really difficult to get in those calories, especially if there's any focus at all on food quality. And so I think for that person, um, eating at nighttime is okay. And sometimes, oftentimes much better than not eating. Yeah. Like I had one client who heard this thing on a podcast, what we're talking about saying, yeah, you shouldn't eat three hours before bed. And she said to me, should I be doing this? Like, I'm very concerned if I stop eating at seven, I'm going to be starving in the middle of the night. Like I'm probably going to be hungry even before I go to bed and that's going to impact my sleep. So for someone like her, it's like, oh, okay, well there's what's best. And then there's what's most ideal for that given that person. And I put myself in the same boat as her. Yeah. Like I eat a decent sized dinner. I also don't like eating a huge meals. So I'd rather have a a snack so that when I go to bed, I'm feeling good and it improves my sleep. If I'm hungry, I'm not the type of, I'm not, I don't need to get up in the middle of the night to eat, but I definitely wake up and I'm like, Oh, I'm hungry. Yeah. It can wake me up at night. I think this is where it's really important that people understand the right thing, the right approach for a nutrition strategy or, you know, diet is it's individual. So Mm -hmm. even a, even a person who's not active, who just has like a lot of hunger at nighttime, they should probably have a little something to eat before they go to bed. Should that be half a pint of Haagen-Dazs? No, but maybe like a cup of, you know, CG's skier with some berries, like something that's got a little bit of protein and some like, you know, balanced carbohydrates is going to help them feel not hungry. Um, probably a pretty good idea. And then there's like the, the last thing that I'll point out is the cortisol impact. Um, so being underfed, especially like low carb kind of underfed tends to increase cortisol levels. So if your cortisol is up because you're underfed, that's just going to make it really hard to, um, to produce melatonin and settle down and go to sleep. Uh, because cortisol and melatonin come from the same precursor in the body. So you literally, it's difficult to be producing cortisol while also be, while also producing these sort of parasympathetic and, you know, relaxing hormones. Um, and eating at night for a lot of people, especially athletes just kind of helps keeps cortisol levels down, um, in the evening so that it, your cortisol should be following, um, somewhat of a circadian, um, pattern, but it is impacted. That one specifically is, is pretty impacted by, um, your nutritional status. So like sleep, I think the big take takeaway is like sleep is also extremely important in terms of, um, health, body composition and it impacts your behavior because like your when your hung, hunger signals are off you're going to be fighting a losing battle yeah um so like whatever's going to help whatever's going to help your sleep is probably has more positive benefits than th- the ones that you achieve by not eating three hours before bed in my opinion in certain certain cir- circumstances yeah i think the takeaway here is Eating at night does not make you fat. Eating too many calories makes you fat. If you are already controlling for calories and everything is dialed in, this might be something to implement. If you are somebody who is not controlling for calories, probably do that first. That's a good takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, let's move on to the next one. 
I'll read it again. And you tell, I'll tell you if it's true or false. Yeah, you tell me if it's true or false. Eating many small meals throughout the day is better than eating only three meals. Oh, oh that's tough. Um, I think I want to use my phone a friend. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that that one is false. Yeah. <laughs> good guess. That's a really good guess. I'll, I'll actually I give my this gut one. Feeling. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Gut feeling like, cause we're talking about nutrition. That was a good pun. Accidental. Um, I would actually give this one a, a maybe like an asterisk mm-hmm. and I'll explain why I think that is. But I also agree. No, I don't think it's better. And the reason why I believe this, and this is also supported by the literature, um, is also supported anecdotally by me (laughs) and me (laughs) and Um, ivy and ivy yeah so i guess let's like little background here so three meals a day has kind of been the traditional recommendation for eating breakfast lunch dinner some people have snacks some people don't um i personally not a big snacker um ironically i tend to eat a bedtime snack (laughs) since we just talked about that but yeah and then a couple like maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I can't remember when this one sort of emerged. Uh, people like fitness and nutrition, people started saying, you know, five to six small meals is better than three large ones. Why? I have no idea. Maybe because when you're eating more frequently, you don't ever get hungry. Like I actually, I'm not really sure where that one came from, but there's, it's like, (laughs) it's like, Maybe it was the, if you have like a car engine and if you put gas in the tank and you run down to like where the light goes up on and then you start slowing down because you're running out of gas. And then, but instead you, every time you feel a ga- see a gas station, you just fill up. So you never run on low. So you don't kind of always topping it off. Yeah. And so maybe there's something to like having more gas in the car makes the car healthier. Also, I don't know. I kind of realized halfway through that metaphor that it wasn't really going to be working. I was something to do with people think that it helps keep your metabolism high. Yeah. But like your metabolism isn't that sensitive. Well, also like it's, it sort of indicates a fundamental misunderstanding of how the metabolism works Mm -hmm. or what, you know, what happens when you eat. So I, I think that it is a a misunderstanding of insulin, but I think that a lot of people misunderstand insulin and they think that high insulin ever is a bad thing. Um, and that's because we've been, we hear a lot about type two diabetes and how bad like chronically high insulin is. And again, like that's not good, but insulin is a very specific hormone in the body and has a very specific purpose. And it, it literally, um, it, it's the only one that exists to, to lower blood glucose. Like that's what it does. Like you eat and your glucose rises and then you produce insulin and it goes down and that's how that works. So when you, yeah, when you look at like insulin patterns throughout the day, you have a meal goes up And then you have a period of fasting or no eating and it returns to baseline. And then you have a meal and it goes up and then you have a period of fasting and it goes back down and then 
up and again like throughout the day you're going to see that start like the peak start to increase assuming that meals are pretty consistent when you eat more frequently it doesn't like return all the way down to baseline so maybe it doesn't get quite as high because you're not intaking as much food but it also it doesn't come all the way back down so it's just kind of like up and it starts to come down and then up and then starts to come down and then up and it just kind of like stays elevated is there something like inherently wrong with this no, probably not. Is it ideal? Also, no, probably not. I've also heard, and I'll admit I haven't ju- jumped into the research, but isn't it good to give your body, this might be another, maybe a myth that you can debunk in the moment, but is there some value to giving your body time in between meals to like chill, like your digestive system? Yeah, like, like if you're constantly digesting food, uh-huh. like that, you're not giving like that's a that's like a parasympathetic response. Like, yeah, sometimes you don't want to be in that state. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, rest and digest. Like the yeah. it's active and rest cycles. Like it is an important part of <clears throat> like overall. Um, like CNS central nervous system Mm -hmm. health like those periods of time are important and like when you actually think about when you actually think about human beings as a species we didn't just sit around and like eat all day like we're not we're not water buffalo we're not grazing in pastures like that's not historically been the eating pattern um in fact sometimes like in the old ages the old ages they they wouldn't eat for some sometimes days yeah. They would eat huge meals and they would be fine. Yeah. Um, I think most often this is viewed through the lens of fat loss. So is one more effective for, well, yeah, quote, quote unquote, boosting your metabolism mm-hmm. and then like therefore improving um, weight loss outcomes. And I think the, the predominant answer like research says, no, there's literally no difference at all. And as far as like, metabolic health goes also no different but the metabolism is not a a heartbeat it's actually pretty difficult to measure i don't i guess it would be you'd put someone in like a chamber and measure their actual like calorie expenditure during the day and you wouldn't see a difference but you like i wouldn't you wouldn't expect to see a difference like that's just not it's not what's going to help um with metabolism so i think that the the biggest thing here is a behavior like the the biggest factor is a behavioral one so if eating more frequently throughout the day helps a a very naturally hungry person manage their hunger and leads to less overeating then yeah that's going to be better for that person um i think that the, the the important pattern to understand is what more frequent eating looks like from a, a literal what's on your plate kind of standpoint mm-hmm. I think the main issue with this is eating consistently square meals like protein, carbohydrate, healthy fat, fruit, vegetable, a nice, well-rounded plate versus erratic eating patterns. So I think people who eat more frequently, five to 12 meals a day, that's going to be really erratic eating. 
12 meals. I mean, at that point, they wouldn't even be meals. No, you Which I think eating. is your to your point. Exactly. It's yeah. Like you're just grabbing like what, like one to 200 calorie foods, mm-hmm. which I mean, that sounds like snack food, which is like, you know, a protein bar. Yep. Um, so I think there's a, a massive benefit to eating consistently and that is going to, uh, that scales up way better. So when you're considering dietary patterns as a whole, um, as it not only like how many meals per day, but also what macronutrient breakdown and intake looks like consistently over time, um, consistent square meals is going to be a much easier thing to evaluate than someone who snacks all day. You know, maybe the person who snacks has one day that's really high in, uh, protein. And then the next day is like low in protein, very high in carbs. It's difficult to get a handle on what eating for that person might look like long-term. And it's going to, the way they feel as a result of that is going to change, um, daily. And again, I have to imagine that the, like all of your digestive markers. So post meal, um, insulin glycemic response has to be better after a large meal compared to you know, a small meal or a handful of nuts. So, um, if you do want to lose weight though, it honestly, again, it's not about like timing. It's what, how many calories you're consuming. That's the bake basics. Although what like left people left to like ad libitum eating patterns. Yeah. Um, if someone is not monitoring their eating at all, not counting calories, not counting macros, they're just eating, they have seen that a large meal, a large meal early in the day does two things. The first thing is that it leads to increased energy expenditure. So a person who eats a large meal, like probably 30% of their daily calories, 30 to 35% of their daily calories in breakfast, hell, more than that even, like up to 40%. Mm-hmm. Um they're going to expend more energy throughout the day. They're going to be active. And that makes sense because you're eating a big meal when your body is most capable of dealing with that meal. So you're probably just going to move around more. Your neat is going to be up. You're going to work harder in the workouts that you choose to do. Um, And then the second thing, they've looked at a large breakfast, uh, the combination of a large breakfast and small dinner versus a small breakfast and large dinner on weight loss patterns and the front heavy eating. So large breakfast and small dinner leads to greater, um, amounts of weight loss than like when compared to a small breakfast and a large dinner, which again, for like, because of the insulin sensitivity thing that we already know about and because of the increased energy expenditure during the day, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly what we would expect to happen. So when you're looking at meals structure, I think there is still some benefit to a large kind of tapering. So like large breakfast, medium lunch, small dinner. Yeah. It's like saying calories are going to impact your body weight. Yeah. There are many things that you can do underneath the umbrella of how many calories you in, intake to, to help imp- make or to help you gain benefits like under that umbrella. Right. So yeah, like even eating like fiber, fruits and vegetables will help, help you make you feel fuller with the same amount of calories. Yeah. Than if you were eating like cookies 
or McDonald's. Yeah, that's all this is. All of these like fasting, you know, eating a large breakfast, small dinner, even when you're not controlling calories, it's a way to control calories. Mm -hmm. That's what that is. And it's, I mean, as far as like meal uh, distribution, there seems to be no benefit at all to small meals for the day and definitely no benefit to a small breakfast ever, (laughs) period. I'm trying to like, I keep trying to like, to like pull back and you keep going in. Well, no, I thought that was me pulling back. (laughs) I was saying there's no benefit to small meals and there's definitely, because of what I just said, no benefit to a small breakfast. Right. Yeah. So pull back out again. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was just my definition of pulling out is different, I guess. I'm sorry. It's okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I think, I think it's, we got the point across. Yeah. So that one's like, uh, maybe I guess depends on the person scientifically. No, yeah, not going to be better at all. Yeah. Like I have some clients who, who love snacks and they need snacks and then, and they are at a great healthy body weight and they're hitting performance hard and that's fine. Yeah. I'm not going to say like, Hey, no, if you're eating like 2,700 calories, you need to divide that, divide that number in three and eat exactly those amount of calories, <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like Which... most people who are controlling for calories and have decent eating habits. Like I, that's why we don't do meal plans. So I'm like, I don't really care Yeah, when you eat. I don't like, obviously you have recommendations. Yeah. Um, like bigger breakfast with protein and maybe, pre and post workout and those are you tinker around with things but like i would never tell anyone hey you're not supposed to snack you're not supposed to eat after seven like here are all the rules you need to follow yeah can i go down a can i just do a little sidebar this is you're pulling back in no it's not i'm I'm zooming in on something totally (laughs) different one of my favorite because we're on the the topic of snacks one of my favorite questions um is what is your favorite afternoon snack i get really tired around 2 p.m. And my response to that is usually, um, well, like you can have anything you want there. Like, but also it is completely normal and natural to, for a human being to get tired at 2 p.m. In fact, like that 2 p.m. kind of lull, the slump is a pretty good indicator that you're like functioning highly from a circadian rhythm standpoint. Like we're, we're meant to be kind of like, <sighs> in the afternoon that's why the siesta is a thing like go to spain and they literally like break in the afternoon to have a nap which so i thought that you were with the way that your cortisol fluctuates isn't it high like it starts peaking again in the afternoon testosterone peaks in the afternoon oh okay because like there's a benefit to working out some studies have shown benefits to working out in the early afternoon and there is i guess that makes sense yeah but also you have to remember when you're working out you're going to, whatever those sleepy, mm-hmm. calm down parasympathetic hormones are, those are, you're going to shut yeah. those off. Okay. That but, makes sense. Yeah. Cortisone in the, in the, um, in the cortisone, cortisol in the afternoon, usually during the day, like that's going to be somewhat person dependent because mm-hmm. it does kind of rise and fall with your activity level, especially if you're like doing a workout. Um, but yeah, the, the afternoon slump is pretty normal, but if you feel like you're, you're like this afternoon slump is more slumpy than I think it should be. Um, yeah, like a, a piece of fruit or something can be really helpful. There. I had a client who was like, I'm feeling really tired in the early afternoon. And it was, she's, she was a new client and I'm like, okay, well, um, well, what time do you eat lunch? She's like, oh, well, I don't really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's start there. Lunch and help. also it was another conversation we had about water intake and it was kind of like, 
you know, she she says that if there were ever a drought, she would be prepared for it. So she's a camel. She's she like doesn't she doesn't drink water, and I'm like that might also help. Yeah, let's do those two things: lunch and water. Yeah, um, and she feels better already, so that's cool. Yeah. All right, number three. Are you ready? True or false? Sugar is bad. Oh, that's another toughie. Um, I want to say true just from all of those little voices in my head. Those naughty little voices. Those little voices that have picked up things along the way, those magazine articles. Is one of the voices uh, the MyFitnessPal reminder? It is. Uh, It's the alerts that I get for my sugar being too high. (laughs) um, I'm going to go with false just because, you know, my gut. That's uh, another, it's another good get. You are three I for hope three. People are gonna come out of this podcast and be like, okay, I don't want Alex as a coach. She's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> three for three. Um, I don't know. I we you know our philosophy, there is there are no bad foods. There are only foods that should be consumed in, you know, moderation and with a greater amount of mindfulness. And sugar. Sugar is such a broad term too. Like, how do you define sugar? I think sometimes when people say sugar, they mean um, like added kind of processed sugar. Sometimes they mean all sugar, including um, sugar from fruit. They, you know, does that include really high GI, like simple carbohydrates? Like white bread is extremely high. Um, what if it's raw sugar, like the brown stuff? Well, Jewel said raw <laughs> sugar was fine. So we're going to go with, because it sends better signals mm-hmm. to the brain. That brown package. That brown sugar in the raw um, I remember the first time I saw that, I think it was at like a caribou coffee or some, like maybe a Starbucks. And I was like, what the hell? And so I opened it up and it was just these like granules yeah. of sugar. Um, I don't, I didn't hate it. I didn't also, hate it either. Also sugar cubes are, are, are visually satisfying as well. Yeah. Cause they're so square. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess the, there's, there's so much nuance that has to be sort I, of. The reason why we came up with this one. And I think most people who follow us probably know by now, but I do have a client who is an athlete and he said the other day, he told me, he's like, well, I'm, I'm drinking Gatorade at, at my race, but it's, um, I do the sugar free or Gatorade zero, (laughs) which is the one that's artificially sweetened. It does still have electrolytes, but it has zero carbs. And I was like, why are you doing that? Like get the real stuff. Or like, he's like, I feel like I'm doing better. I'm eating less of like the, the crappy foods like rice and bread. And I was like, you're an athlete. Like, but then like, you know, we talk about, and we've discussed this. I don't want to stereotype, but we've discussed like the older um, female who maybe has done all the diets that you ever think of, like, you know, Weight Watchers, Atkins, that sort of thing. And maybe in their heads, like, okay, carbs are bad. And they've got this like, well, it's kind of like dieting mentality. Foods, yeah. yeah. But the fact like there's this whole other realm like in the in the athletic community that is so has this preconceived notion that sugar is bad. I had a dietitian tell me once when I was like 18 on the ski team that I shouldn't have jam because it has added sugar. Okay, well, here I'll just point out uh, um, this is again sidebar. But as far as athletes are going, there's a bit of a like a uh, how do I call it Um, a divide. Like there's, I will say one good thing about CrossFit athletes as like, as annoying as I think that population of people can be like, they, they kind of get the eating thing Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, for the most part, 
There's not really the fear so. of carbs. Especially now. Yeah. Before, sort of as a, soon as we moved away from paleo, yeah. then people were like, okay. I think that as far, like in the elite community especially, there's been a um, acceptance and even their like embracing of, of carbohydrates and sugar. And, and just eating a lot. Yeah, as a, a tool for performance. And yeah. it is a very important tool for performance. And then you have athletes that come out of the, like the traditional channels. So like uh, NCAA sports, like the collegiate, uh, national prep teams, national teams, uh, like kind of the IOC sort of arena. And they have no idea. And it's because the people that are working there, not to, to poo-poo all dietitians here, you know, but it, they are sports dietitians. They're people who you have to have... Um, I mean, it has to, you have to have certain credentials and typically are a bit more old school and they're working with collegiate athletes and with national team athletes and IOC and they're people who've been doing it a long time. And they're saying the same shit that like, that a lot of us know is not true, but they're, they're saying that to athletes. And so they're creating all this food fear and carbohydrate fear in very elite athletes who you have to kind of sit back and wonder like, how good would they be if they were actually like eating? Um, anyways, so that's just, it's sort of a, a difference that I'm seeing in athletes uh, depending on mm-hmm. where they, and then like the endurance athletes, which, you know, people who, who come into endurance sports in the middle of their life, running triathlon, cycling, that kind of thing. Like that's a total mixed bag on yeah. what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, yeah. Like I, I, I look at, crossfit athletes and it's it's hard we were talking about this yesterday it's hard to prescribe uh like nutrition plans for competition because you don't know exactly what you're gonna get like going into quarterfinals this weekend was difficult because it's like first of all you don't know what the workouts are you don't like oftentimes like you're the the spacing between workouts there is variable with endurance athletes or um, athletes like, uh, I'm just going to say like rowers or maybe swimmers, like you have a pretty clear idea of what they're going into. Like it comes with, for, at least for me with marathon training or I have some ultra marathon athletes, it really, it's like a math problem. Yeah. It's very easy to determine like how much glycogen you can store and how much glycogen you need. And then with that, it's just like, okay, now we need to practice making you teaching you how to get all this in yeah picking the appropriate foods um but this the whole sugar is bad thing going back to that it's not it's yeah. not bad for you i think that the like um, there's a whole push now with like f- certain fruit oh I know. I, one time a cross-country skier told me this was back in university told me that she doesn't eat carrots because they're higher on the glycemic index i had someone way back this was like a family friend. We were there for like Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving in the South. Keep that in mind. And Thanksgiving in the South means like green bean casserole. It means like baked macaroni and cheese, um, you know, mashed potatoes that are 50% butter, like that kind of diet, that kind of eating. And I mentioned something about beets. And this woman said to me, Ooh, you got to watch out for beets. They're high in sugar. And like, I had literally just watched her use two sticks of butter and like a cup of cream 
in a macaroni casserole. And then she probably put marshmallows on her sweet potato. 100%. Whatever that sweet potato stuff is. Yeah. But it's just, there's a total like misunderstanding of, of what I think what sugar is. Like it's just glucose. It's just glucose. Every carbohydrate that you eat, not every, because there's a couple forms, there's fructose, but largely what you consume when you eat a carbohydrate, it gets broken down into glucose and the speed at which that happens like you know white sugar versus uh whole wheat like that's going to impact like that's that's where the glycemic index comes in which is just a measurement of how quickly does it elevate your blood glucose levels um and again nothing wrong with that in fact for an athlete right after your training really good time to eat as high a glycemic index carbohydrate as possible because you want your your blood glucose to spike you want insulin levels to spike because that's how you get glycogen back into your muscles which you just used on that note have we talked about you can no but we should table that for a second okay um so yeah okay so the you know back to understanding what sugar is <clears throat> the the problem with sugar is that is is there's nothing inherently wrong with it it is that when it is combined with fat it becomes extraordinarily easy to overconsume but it's a misrepresentation of the food item to blame it on carbohydrates or sugar alone because it's the combination like it's that super hyper palatable combination that's problematic and we have like there's research that supports this. They can't get rats to, to, to overeat and become obese eating like when they give them just sugar, just sugar water. They won't do it. But when you emulate, when you recreate, they call it the cafeteria diet. So now you're combining sugar with fat and you're emulating, you're making things like baked goods, ice cream, donuts, stuff like that. Give that to a rat and it just balloons like blows up and of course all the blood markers go wacky like they do when obesity sets in but carbohydrates alone sugar alone won't do it fats alone won't do it you combine those things which remember that's not a combination of um of macronutrients that really exists in nature when you think about it like think about like what is what is the closest to a donut that you can get in nature I'm thinking like fat. I think about nuts and avocado in nature, like olives, things yep. like that. Sure. Um, and then I try to think of carbs and I'm like, yeah, fruit, honey. I, I, I'm trying to think of something together. Yeah. But it's, when you, it is difficult. There's not really anything <laughs> that exists not like, as in like one or one or two steps post I'm pulling it off the plant or I've killed the animal that combines into that it can you think of any no i can't that's why that's why i asked the question uh, yeah that's a that's that's a valid point so i think that's before i forget if you're interested in this topic we would recommend the book the hungry brain yeah by Stephen guine very good and it explains all of this yeah um but when you so now you have a super unnatural <laughs> great I love that point i, that I was love a that point. i just like literally stumped you well you, you stumped yourself so I don't you know yeah i know <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you have this, this kind of unnatural food combination that the human brain is not designed to handle. 
Mm-hmm. The only thing that happens when we encounter it is our brains like we need to eat more of that right now. I will say, so I've been doing a few carb loads um, for my running. And on this note, an- another just a little story. It is so with a carb load and we've discussed again before your protein and your fat goes way down. Um, it's, it's about 70% carbs, 15% fat, 15% protein. So that's pretty different from typical like 30, 30, 40. It is difficult. You really have to plan out a carb load to avoid fat. It is tough. Even the other day I went over on my fat, which I think I had at around 50 or 55, um, which is still even higher than 15%. And it was, it was because I ate a scone. Yeah. And I'm like, a scone has like 12 <laughs> grams of fat. And yeah. I'm th- here sitting, eating the scone thinking like, oh, this will be good for my carbs. And then I go to fat secret. And I'm like, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. But like, it is, it is difficult. Like you have to focus on only, only carbs. And some, even that is difficult in today's yeah. day and age. Yeah. There, the combination is, runs rampant. Yeah. And I will like, we're, we're kind of sticking to like donuts, ice cream, but the same, like, you know, carb fat on the savory salty side Mm -hmm. like uh chicken fingers corn chips yeah french fries same thing yeah um but yeah it's when you when you eliminate the fat now it's super you can't even eating frosted flakes is really hard yeah it's just or even like milk yeah like you put milk with your cereal and it's like you got to do the low fat yeah even almond milk has Mm -hmm. fat in it and those little ones add up when you're you're keeping your fat low even if it's just for a couple days yeah exactly um, all right. You were going to ask about you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can just, why don't we're you... talking about insulin. Yeah. So you can is a post-workout carb. Well, they make a bunch of, they're a supplement. Company. Okay. But they make a post-workout carb. And the reason why I've, I've learned about this is I think, I think some athletes like the top athletes, maybe like Noel Olson mm-hmm. promotes it. And it's also on morning chalk up quite a bit. And they promote this carb. It's post-workout called a... carb. It's called super starch, super starch. And it's supposed to, re- Oh, how did, what is the wording? Do you have it up? I do. It's a proprietary low glycemic complex carbohydrate that they say, quote, is changing the way athletes train. It says by applying our patented cooking method to a specific strain of non GMO corn, super starch is real food that is unlike any other. The revolutionary carbohydrates provide athletes with steady long lasting energy without the spikes and crashes associated with sugar and other common carbs. So essentially like it's a very low glycemic and all it is, is, is a modified. So we've probably heard waxy maize, Mm -hmm. which is a really common carbohydrate in the sports supplement world. So it's a like hydrothermally modified waxy maize. That's all it is. And they patented it. And what it does is it, it doesn't raise because it is, low glycemic index. It doesn't raise, um, blood glucose or insulin. It was actually designed for specifically for kids who have trouble digesting carbohydrates. It was, it was a a medical implement before it was used in the sports world. But that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It makes zero sense from the purpose of carbs, intro workout carbs and post-workout carbs. It, what it does is it, it preys on people's fear of carbohydrates and elevated blood sugar and insulin. Yep. That's, and they use that to say that it, for that reason, because it doesn't raise insulin, 
therefore it is a superior product. And so there's actually, I think this is hilarious because it's still getting promoted. There's a, a huge class action lawsuit against them because um, essentially they're making all these claims and um, they're all for the most part based on, on white papers. So white paper is basically just a little experiment. It's pre peer reviewed. They're not typically considered. It's sort of like, Oh, interesting. Like that's how the scientific world considers them. Definitely needs more exploration. I mean, like I have seen, like you've seen some ridiculous white papers. Um, but for the most part, they seem the, the claims made in the white papers seem pretty unsubstantiated and the reason there's a class action is because <laughs> essentially you can, the super starch was causing all these athletes to like shit their brains out. <laughs> so they would take it during a race, like in the middle of a race and then have to like essentially pull out, stop, run off the course, spend two <laughs> hours in the toilet. I don't know. But like the opposite of what you want to be happening on race day, which is like, which is like, um, I don't know, not shitting in your pants, but that was happening. And then, you know, a there were all these questions that came out and then they started digging into the claims and realized like, oh, th this is complete crap. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it's ironic that it's uh, still being very much used. Oh, perfect. I'm on their website and it has like the old paradigm and it's got glucose on the <laughs> Y axis going up as an in indicating glucose level. I'm assuming in the blood time on the x-axis so glucose over time and it says the old paradigm and it has fast carbs so we'll just go with gatorade yeah the one that everyone knows and it shows this big peak and then lol and then big peak right and then it says the new paradigm and it has glucose on the y time on the x super starch flat line and it goes up and then it's kind of <laughs> flat and um yeah, the <laughs> that may be what happens. The question is, why is that? Why would that be better? And uh, I think if you talk to anyone that knows anything at all about um, glucose kinetics, would probably tell you that's not that's not better at all. And then you put that in a, a race, and that's <clears throat> probably not even what happens. So, I think you can's hilarious. Um, but yeah, then then you get athletes who are like, I love the way it feels. This this this. It's better. And I'm like, you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Please stop. Thanks for bringing that up. You're welcome. Anyways. Um, yeah. I mean, the sugar, the sugar thing, it all comes down to ease of consumption. Yeah. That's what it is. I think that the caveat asterisk is if someone is diabetic or pre-diabetic as an elevated A1C has diminished uh, blood glucose control, lack of sensitivity to insulin. Yeah, probably a good idea to monitor simple sugars in the diet. Oh, yeah. And if somebody's trying to lose weight, I mean, it goes back to kind of the... The... Like food, the food quality thing and food volume. If you're controlling for sugar, you're going to be eating probably fewer of the highly processed carbs and fat and more whole foods, um, which will help increase food volume, which will keep you more satiated on a lower calorie diet or at least control food intake. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I was going to say something. Oh, um, with that said, fruit, sugar and fruit, mm. not a problem. Like nobody ever got fat eating fruit. Correct. We look at a piece of fruit. What else do you have going on there? You have water and, sh- and fiber. Like you eat an apple and that thing, it's like, that I thing fills like, you up. I can't even make it through an <laughs> apple. I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm like, and I don't know, maybe it's cause I do have to eat a lot of food, but I'm like, I need a snack. And I look at an apple and I'm like, I'm not up for that. <laughs> and I'm like, I just grab like a rice crispy square. Cause I'm like this thing, it's like a quarter of the size. I can eat it in four bites. Whereas like an apple, but then again, my goals are a little different. I'm not trying to lose weight. Yeah. Like I'm trying to keep weight on. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. It's interesting. But yeah, an apple, people are scared of apples or grapes. Or like even watermelon. I'm like, you it's know how mostly... much watermelon you could eat for like 500 calories? Oh my God, you could <laughs> eat like half, half a watermelon. I dare you to eat 500 calories not worth of watermelon and not feel like you're going to be sick. Yeah. Not from the sugar, but from the sheer amount of volume. Yeah. But that's, I think also like the fruit thing, people are chronically dehydrated anyways. Like fruit is an amazing way to increase your, improve your hydration status while also eating a snack that does have a like a large number of micronutrients it does have fiber it has good like a good combination of carbohydrates it's got fructose it's good to mix your you know your sugar sources up sometimes like um getting in some fructose instead of just all glucose is good and then the the water content alone is going to help control intake that's a really good point um and that i think to kind of bring this to to circle back to the athlete kind of side of thing i i think that there's a fine line and this is where I see some CrossFit athletes kind of miss the boat is that they don't pay any attention at all to, to food quality. Um, where there's a, there's a spectrum like, yeah, you can probably get away with that. Um, it certainly makes eating a high volume, like high, high amount of calories a lot easier if you're eating more highly processed, lower quality, uh, foods, carbohydrates, sugars. Um, but there's also a lot of value in including, a diverse amount of fruits and vegetables and, um, you know, getting some of that stuff in, it's just, it can't be on either end. Like you, you don't want to be eating super low quality because you're like, I'm an athlete and I have to get my food in. Um, you also don't want to be over on the side of way over on food quality and be like, well, I will have to eat, you know, only whole unprocessed sources of carbohydrates because those are healthy because that's going to make it really hard to get in the calories and carbohydrates needed to perform. So they're, somewhere in the middle like you want some attention on um on food quality but also recognizing it's really difficult to perform athletically when you're not taking in simple sugars yeah we were we talked about that on the like eating for athletic performance versus health yeah and it's just like what do you put you have your base diet which includes all the whole foods and like oh five servings of fruits and vegetables and then on top of that what are you eating yeah um and then there's the you know, during competition. Yeah. Like you're just like, I'm not going to be out, you know, like preparing for a marathon, eating like apples. No. Um, you know, I eat candy. I have like, and even candy. People think, you know, people, they they look at like a cliff block or a stinger gummy and they're like, okay, I can eat that. That's for athletes. (laughs) And then I'm like, why don't like buy, buy some nibs. Oh, you're at the airport and you're traveling, you need carbs. Sour Patch Kids. And you have a co- competition tomorrow, like buy, buy a bag of candy. What? You want me to get Skittles? I'm like, what do you think? What do you think is in the, <laughs> the cliff blocks? Like just because they're twice, like twice or triple the cost, they think it's, you know, 
better for you or is yeah. not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, there's some, there's a few little like asterisks. Caveats. Caveats with, with some of those recommendations depending on the day and depending on the person. But for the most part, like, you know, carbs aren't evil. Sugar isn't evil. Yeah. They can actually be used to your benefit in a lot of cases. 100%. It, even if that benefit is like happiness, mm-hmm. that's an important mm-hmm. benefit that you, you need to remember. Yeah. Donuts fit into a diet. That's yep. absolutely true. So, all right, bonus, we'll do the bonus one and then we'll be done. Bonus myth. Our ancestors ate raw meat. True or false? Um, I'm going to go with the fact that our jaws got smaller that we didn't. We probably cooked over a fire. That is, Alex, that is precisely correct. I nailed it. You did. Um, yeah, this one, this one, neat. apparently we have to say this um, because of people like liver king <laughs> who uh yeah is promoting you know a raw meat diet as like ancestral or primal or like the way you should be eating um and so as a result i've seen uh let's see ryan fisher eat I a know. package of ground beef he, just he like, didn't like it he you could tell he was like and he was oh, still doing like, it for instagram and i was like please why what are you doing especially like ground beef out of a package like are you insane um so that i've i watched someone probably like this he's probably like oh shoot expires today better hurry up (laughs) (laughs) yeah that i saw some guy eat a like a like a beef brain i've seen people eating chunks of raw liver um there's i guess not i did have some sashimi the other night oh yeah of course i did too um so but i just i didn't post about it oh shit we should have Next time we go, we'll be like, so primal. <laughs> um, I, there's nothing inherently wrong with raw meat. Like, we can eat it. I think that the main issue is a safety one um, because it's so easy to get, it's so easy, easily contaminated. Um, Especially ground meat. Well, ground meat, even a cut, a steak that's cut in a processing plant and yeah. packaged, like any contamination at all in that, that plant. And, also add on top of that meat is inherently unclean um not like you shouldn't eat i mean like food like raspberries get moldy like there's a certain number like a a a, a certain amount of, of pathogens sort of on our food naturally the concern is when you give those things enough time to begin to replicate so that's why yeah you can have a packet of raspberries that are great and you're eating them and then the next day you go open them up and they're completely overgrown with uh mold are you did you use the did you use the raspberry example because we have bought three packs of raspberries (laughs) because you were excited that they were on sale and then i realized why they're on sale (laughs) yeah so that's the issue and so it's not that we cannot eat raw meat it's not that carnivores out in the world they're somehow different than us. I mean, they are, and I'll maybe I'll talk about that. But it's like a lion kills the freak, the gazelle, and then eats it right away, and also still gets sick sometimes. Okay, this is not an R-rated podcast. Okay, Can you I'm sorry. Cool it with they, the graphics. Sorry, they take a bite. The, the gazelle lives. Um, 
humans on the other hand like our meat goes through processing facilities it's cut up it's 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 exposed even like searing it's like a lot of chefs recommend this if you if you do like very raw cuts of meat searing it like most of the pathogens are on the surface so if at least if you if you that's why ground meat is the worst i know because you're increasing surface area Mm -hmm. you're the entire thing is not surface um but at least if you sear it, your your chances are you've killed what's there, and you can still enjoy a very 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 undercooked piece of meat, which I do sometimes. Um, but anyways, to get like back from it, like an evolutionary also, standpoint, raw meat doesn't taste better, does it? No, like sometimes I enjoy. A, I guess certain raw meats, but I enjoy I enjoy raw steak almost. I I enjoy the sear on it, like that's part of the experience for me. It's not the the inside. It's not the rawness. It's the combination of the sear on the outside with the like yeah. rare or medium rare center. Yeah. Um, and I I couldn't eat an entire diet of that. That would get really old. <clears throat> but I don't sniff a pork chop and think, oh, I can't wait. I just want to eat it raw. Like we're actually kind of naturally like you're like when you're like food there's a reason why you're attracted to a barbecue and you're not attracted to the way that raw chicken smells Mm, like you don't walk into a butcher shop and you're like oh man i'm hungry i'm just gonna get behind the (laughs) counter and go crazy that's not what happens in fact you're like um like we're very in tune to when meat smells off for a reason uh from an evolutionary standpoint we so this is to go back to our ancestors primals the olden days the olden days the reason a large reason why we developed into the intelligent species that we are arguably the most intelligent species maybe second to cats um would be that's a joke i had zoned out i was picturing the video you showed me of liver king liver king throwing his dog into the water oh i know Thinking, I was thinking, why animal. does he even have a dog? That's not a wild animal. Like, it's that domesticated. Is that goes against your being as yeah. as a primal. You should have a wolf as a pet. I know. What a... I hate that What guy. a hypocrite. God, I hate that guy. What he, a hypocrite. He threw him into this like big-ass like pool. I was like, nice primal pond, yeah. you dick. Um, anyways, I, that was a story. It probably won't be put up. Um, yeah, so... Going back to our going ancestors. back to the ancestors, we yeah they did see that around the time uh, Homo erectus, which is about 1.5 million years ago, just for time scale, um, one of the earliest home like like genus Homo humans humanoids. Well, hang on, did you just call me gay? <laughs> You're such a Homo, yeah. That's what I did. Um, oh God, they I started- hate myself. <laughs> relax they so about 1.5 million years ago they they noticed that our our jaws i don't hate myself for being gay i know i hate myself for the jokes that i try i know sorry that's uh, i got i didn't i didn't want somebody to think oh i see yeah no i'm sorry for interrupting please continue we they anthropologists noticed that that there's anything wrong with (laughs) we're running out of time yeah i know i know um our jaws were shrinking and our teeth were shrinking, which indicated, and that was around the same time that we learned how to play with fire. So we actually learned, like we were cooking our food 1.5 million years ago. And the main, so kind of the, the main reason why that is important is that cooked meat 
takes a lot less time to eat. More force per bite, but less time to break down. And so now we can we can just eat more. Um, it also meant that we could store our food. And so like, there's a lot of benefit to not having to like lie around and digest an entire raw boar that you've just eaten. Um, so it freed up more time for other performance benefiting evolutions, like making tools, like learning how to hunt, becoming inherently more social, which allowed us to develop tribes and, organization within our little societies and it's it's so they actually think that the ability to cook our meat was a fundamental part of our evolution and one of the reasons why we evolved into such intelligent creatures which does for me beg the question of where the hell does liver king come in but then you have to remember like we live in in the time of the internet and uh, a time where a guy can just take as many steroids as he wants he can say i look like this because i'm ancestral and i eat raw liver and you should too and you should eat raw beef and testicles and this and this and this and oh wait you don't like raw meat you don't want to eat raw liver well that's actually okay because i have an entire line of supplements that you can take instead and they work just as well except he doesn't sell the one supplement that he does take, which I don't, I mean, maybe he takes more than one, probably some growth hormone in there as well, because that would be illegal. What I'm trying to figure out is how, when you, like they had meat and they had fire, how did they know? Was somebody just like walking by with his meat and he like fell and the meat fell in the fire and he was, and then he like grabbed it and was like, ah, ah, cook, yummy. Mm. <laughs> I imagine it happened over a period of well somebody discovered there was a moment of discovery well yeah but how do when did we discover how to make a wheel like it's those are all valid questions that probably have answers that we'll never know I'm sure I could figure it out come yeah. up with a story in my head for sure but I bet you that's how it happened you think probably mm. they tripped near the fire and the meat fell in the fire that's believable as as believable as anything so Anyways, that was our, uh, that's our myth busting episode. If you made it this far, kudos. This was a long one, but a fun one. Don't you think? I loved it. I thought it was a great idea. So whoever came up with it, it was your kudos to you. It was your idea. It was Alex's idea, which is great because I didn't have any ideas for today, but, um, as always, thank you so much for listening, listening. God, I need to go eat lunch. My brain. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you liked this episode, share it. Please subscribe. Let us know what else you want to hear. Um, and we will do it again super duper soon in probably like a week. All right. Meredith and Alex out. Out.